Oh, good morning to everyone. It's a beautiful day. A little bit on the cool side, but I'm sure uh, most everyone's enjoying it. I, I kind of like the, lo- the hot weather, but a cool snap here and there is not that bad. I'm excited to be here this morning. You're probably thinking, who is this guy? Maybe we have or have not heard of him. And one of the reasons I'm excited, I mentioned in Bible class, is I've always heard of a lot of good things from the Andrew congregation, but have never made it out here. And I want to thank the elders and everyone who's given me that opportunity this morning. Now, when I told people I was excited about coming out here, they couldn't figure out why. After all, this is West Texas. And I thought, well, that's, I, I love the desert, the arid climate, so it's no problem. And the farthest I'd ever been was San Angelo. So I was excited to come in and see this part of, of the country. And I noticed, I always heard it's desert. Somehow I had in my head, it's like Sahara Desert sand, you know. And y'all have some bushes out here. I've seen them coming in. Some mesquite trees and whatnot. But what really cracked me up is I hear desert and I have this picture in my head. And not too far from here, there's this yellow sign that says, Warning, road subject to flooding next 28 miles. I I had to look at my uh, map and make sure I was going in the right direction. I was taking on it. Then all of a sudden it started raining. And I was like, what is this falling from... Just so you know, brethren, y'all have more grass here than we do in the hill country right now. That probably does not happen too often, but it is, it is good and it is wonderful uh, to be here. I'm glad that uh, I did not know they were going to be here, but Brother uh, Bryce and Brother Alex and Sister Laura Lee, students at the school, are here this morning. Before they leave, you need to ask them about prepositions, especially Brother Bryce. I think he's got it figured out now, uh, but uh, it is a good thing. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Are we hiding behind the wine press? We're going to look at a fellow in the Old Testament where there are some good things to learn. You know, I was at a place not too long ago where a preacher said, What are you preaching out of the Old Testament for? And I said, Well, Romans 15:4 says there's things in that Old Testament for my learning. Some examples. And there is no doubt that when we study people in the Old Testament, those are some things that we get to learn about individuals. They are human beings. They bleed just like we do. We bleed just like they do. And they have to uh, overcome trials in their life. And so this morning in Judges 6, the study is Gideon. A study in contrast. And that's what we will learn from this lesson. This is a man who leads a, a small handful of warriors, if you will, against a much bigger and mightier army, and he comes out the winner. He comes out victorious in this battle. Now, of course, he had God on his side, and we know what happens when that takes place, right? We're always going to be victorious. So Gideon is called to be a judge during a time of intense trouble in Israel. The nation is suffering at the grip of Midianite oppression. But I don't know if we can even begin to fathom what that would be like, and maybe unless perhaps in our life we've grown up that way. Something that I always think of and been heavy on my mind is what's happening over in the Ukraine right now. Does that bother any of you? People's lives, and I mean on both sides. But it really hits home because there's lots and lots of good brethren in the Ukraine. They can't wake up this morning and go to their church building to worship God together because the building doesn't exist. It's in rubble. That's what I call intense 
oppression. I hope and pray that it is never that way, but it could very well be a reality uh, someday. How serious is this situation here in Judges chapter 6 when we say they are in big trouble? First of all, their land was stripped. Second of all, their homes and their villages are destroyed. This is Judges 6, beginning in verses 1, 2, 3, and following. And their lives are endangered. If you look in your Bibles in verse 6, it says that they were impoverished. What does that mean? You know, the preacher gets a little long-winded on Sunday morning and my tummy starts rumbling for lunch, I might feel impoverished. They were literally at the end of their rope. Every mama in here knows exactly what that's about, right? You were at the end of your rope. In a grocery store one time, I saw a young child who was not allowed. or He, he asked his mama, can I have this? And she said, no, you cannot. And he got so mad, they were on the pickle aisle. He stuck his hand in the pickle jars and just started raking them on the floor. Breaking. Now, that little boy needed a whooping. I don't know where you're at on that, but that's what that boy needed. That mama was at the end of her rope. This is where the Israelites are. This is where their nation is, the oppression that they are under. Israel had counted God out, but what we're going to learn is God had not counted them out. And praise be to God that he does not count us out. I do not know where you are at this morning, but understand that you're right where you need to be with Christians worshiping God Almighty. And maybe your life is impoverished. Maybe you are at the end of your rope right now. This morning you will learn from God's Word that you can overcome, that you can press forward. And so not only does God have a message for the Israelites, He has a person. Now, this person doesn't seem very likely in Gideon to carry out this message. And so what God is going to do is he needs to bring Gideon first to the place where then he can go and deliver the people. Matter of fact, the name Gideon itself means he who cuts down. And what we learn from our Old Testaments, that's exactly what this man did. He went and he cut down the enemies of God so that a nation might be saved. And so with this, perhaps we see a little bit of Gideon in ourselves as we examine him this morning. Number one this morning, verse 11, the circumstances. Number two, verse 12, the commission. And then in verses 13 through 16, we will see the confusion. So three points this morning. We're going to look at his circumstance, the commission, and then the confusion and what he must battle through. In verse 11, notice with me Gideon's circumstances. Let's, let's read that together. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Orphra, and pertained unto Joash the Abazarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. What are Gideon's circumstances? And as we look at that, ask yourself, what are your circumstances this morning? We see here that verse 11 reveals to us even more of this impoverished nation, these people at the end of their rope. Israel does not have a lot in these days. The Bible makes that very clear. Evidently, Gideon was able to gather some wheat, and he was able to hide and somehow thresh that wheat in order to get food. The fact that Gideon is threshing grain by hand, brethren, indicates how much or how little, I should say, they have to work with. You see, the way this was normally done is they would throw the grain out on a threshing floor. And they would have an ox that would pull a, 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 a 
connected to a yoke and a stick and all that. And this ox would walk in circles and pull a sled over the threshing floor, crushing that grain, separating the chaff from the product in large amounts to feed people. Here's one man with a handful hiding from the Midianite oppression to get this food. Number two, not only was it a time of poverty, it was a time of persecution. He was hiding because he knew the Midianites would take the grain and maybe far worse in hiding in those times. Gideon and his people, brethren, are suffering intense persecution. Have you ever been hungry? Have you ever been truly hungry? Have you ever been so hungry that you would do anything to get food in your stomach? Maybe you would eat things that you never thought were food before. Maybe you would go and do something uh, like steal or whatever to get food because you're so hungry, you're your family. I'm just saying the, when, when hunger is that strong, there's not anything a man will do just about to get food. It was a time of powerlessness. It's seen in the fact here in verse 11 that Gideon is hiding from the enemy. Brethren, this man is just as defeated. He is just as frightened as the entire nation itself. What are you to do in a situation like that? When everyone is frightened, when everyone is defeated, who's going to step up and be a leader for God Almighty? Difficult times. But brethren, let me remind us, we are in some difficult times too. True? Think about it for just a moment. Think of the discouragement encouraging brothers and sisters to get together to worship God Almighty. Somehow that's become a challenge. Wouldn't the challenge be better if we couldn't fit everyone in the building and had to figure out how we were going to overcome that? What about economic uncertainty? It has many people feeling like we're not that far away from being forced into poverty. What about government and society growing increasingly hostile towards the things of the Lord? Oh, come on, preacher. True story. Not too long ago, Houston, Texas, the mayor of that town tried to make every preacher turn in sermon notes to the city. You know what they were going to do with the preacher's sermon notes? They were going to review them. And if there was anything spoken out against homosexuality, she was coming after him. Now, as a preacher, what are you going to do? Are you going to stand up and proclaim the whole counsel of God, speaking the truth in love? Or are you going to compromise? By the way, that did not go through. That did not pass. But what's around the next corner? The uncertainty of the way the church is being treated. And Have you ever tried to figure out why that is so, brethren? Hopefully none of us in here are going to steal from our neighbor. Hopefully if our neighbor is in need, we're going to reach out and help them. If their house is on fire, we're going to try. And we would do anything we possibly could to help our neighbors. And yet the world is turning on people who would not harm somebody else. We are living in days where there is little spiritual power among God's people. In some ways, brethren, we're living through the same troublesome times as Gideon. Maybe different trouble, but we have our own obstacles to overcome. Verse 12. So hopefully we've set the stage that this is not a good situation. Now look at his commission. The Bible reads there in verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. (laughs) Can't help but chuckle sometimes if God was purposely inserting humor into the Bible. Did everybody catch that there? Here's a man 
with a handful of wheat, hiding behind a wine press, and the angel of the Lord says, Thou mighty man of valor. That doesn't even make sense, does it? You see, we're inside the box. God is outside the box. And he has a mission for Gideon. Now, Gideon has to be willing to be brought to where God can use him, just like we do today, brethren. And so, let's see what happens here. While Gideon is hiding, God knew exactly where Gideon was. The Midianites didn't find him, but God knew. The verse says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. Now, brethren, this is no ordinary angel. Look at verse 13 in your Bibles. And there it says, the angel is called Lord. When the Lord speaks to Gideon, he comes with words of hope and he comes with words of assurance. Brethren, it's the same message today. The good news of Jesus the Christ, our Lord and Savior, since before the foundations of the world and the mind of God, was prepared to die on that cross, to shed that innocent, pure blood. So everyone in this room, everyone in this town, everyone in this county, everyone in this state, Everyone in the world who has, who is, or who will live has hope and assurance to be with God in heaven. Now, isn't that some great news? Isn't that some wonderful news? Now, I'm not asking you to stand up and do flips, but that ought to be getting us excited right now. That our God has loved us so much that he prepared his only begotten son. But you see, sometimes these troubles get on us. And they suppress our thought process. And they blind us to the goodness of our God, to how many spiritual blessings, all, Ephesians 1 and verse 3, that we have in Christ Jesus. So notice God's promise here. The angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with thee. Aren't those some beautiful words? The Lord is with thee. Could you go to sleep at night, tonight, and be at peace, knowing that God is with you? Any of us could. You want to get technical here in God's promise, we have what is called a theophany. Now, what does that fancy word mean? It means the appearance of God in visible form to man. Really, brethren, we can take it a step further here, and we have what is called a theo- or, excuse me, a Christophany, Christ appearing. He did this many times in the Old Testament before he was born in Bethlehem, where he appears in visible form to mankind. And so that's what's going on here in Gideon's life. The Midianites did not know where Gideon was hiding, but the Lord knew exactly where he was at. Brethren, this should comfort our hearts. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never forsake thee nor leave thee. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he promised the disciples there after giving them the great commission, and lo, I am with you always. This day, right now, brethren, God is with us. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes God is on the back burner, so it doesn't really mean that much to us. Those are challenges that we have to overcome, because that's right where the devil would have us to be. The Lord is with thee literally means here that his power is on you. Gideon, his power is... Now, Gideon could not see it. Gideon could not sense it. He's hiding, threshing some wheat behind a rind press, and it surely does not look like to us in our Bibles at this point that God's power is on this man. But let's keep going. Brethren, friends, if you're not a Christian, if we could ever grasp this truth, that we are led by God, 
And we go to bed at night knowing that. And we wake up in uh, the morning knowing that. And we live our lives like that. It would change our lives. Now, I'm not implying none of us are there. But there's no doubt it's something that we need to be reminded of. God's perception. So we have his promise. Now look at his perception. The Lord says something, and again, this is, I find it humorous, not, not to be disrespectful, but he calls getting a mighty man of valor. Here's a, he's so afraid he's hiding with a handful of wheat. He doesn't want to get in trouble. He's full of fear. But the Lord saw something in Gideon. You see, Gideon starts out timid. He starts out shy. This fearless leader one day is someone who has lots of doubts and has lots of questions. Let me ask you, do you ever feel that way? Timid, uncertain, doubt, fear. Maybe you have some questions in your life. It's only to be human. It's not a crime. But what do we do with that? That's where it focuses in on Gideon and for us this morning. And so... The phrase that the Lord used here, a mighty man of valor, literally means a man who is charging right into the face of the enemy. Could you do that? A man who's charging right into the face of the enemy. The fellow behind the wine press with a handful of grain is going to be charging right into the face of the enemy. Tell me, God, what is going on? What am I missing here? Do we not want that kind of courage, that kind of confidence? The truth is our foundation, brethren. That's what we stand upon and nothing else. And when we stand upon that truth and we understand God's hope and assurance in our lives, then we too can march right into the face of the enemy. Let's keep going. The Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. Psalm 139. If you're like me, you look at your life and you see some mistakes. You see some failures. You see some problems. You see a person who has failed to live up to God's high calling. You see a person who, from all appearances, is coming up short. You ever beat yourself up like that? Sometimes we do that as Christians. And then we lose hope. God, I tried to get a Bible study with my best friend. They told me, no, my mama won't listen to the gospel. Why try anymore? I'm just going to come to church services, warm the pew that I'm sitting on, say a prayer, try to attend some workshop or this or that, and hopefully my ticket is punched into heaven. I tried, Lord, it's just not... We give up too easy, brethren. We give up too easy. Understand that we have God on our side. What does God see? Do you remember when Jesse looked at young David... He had called a family meeting together, and his youngest son was just a mere boy, not worthy to be a part of that meeting, 1 Samuel 16. When God looks at David, he sees a mighty king. Was David perfect? He was not. He made some terrible mistakes. An adulterer, a murderer, but he was able to overcome those things and get where God would have him to be. He is able to take us like we are, brethren, And transform us into something amazing. Something amazing by his power. You don't believe me? Then explain to me Saul of Tarsus. You don't want to accept it? Then tell me about Simon Peter. What about you? What about me? Our God has not changed. Our God that we're reading about in Judges 6 is the God that we have today. That's a good thing. 
It's a blessing to us that our God does not change. Verses 13 through 16, our final point this morning, Gideon's confusion. When Gideon hears the words of the Lord, he is truly amazed at what he hears. He cannot see how God could possibly, of all the people in the world, be talking to Gideon. And so he reacts to the Lord by questioning God's word. Let's read that. Verse 13. The Bible there says, And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Have you ever asked that question? God, I love you, and if you're with me, why are all these bad things happening to me? Maybe it's bills. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's a combination of all of it. What is Gideon going to do? In verse 13, the first part, he questions God's presence. God, excuse me, Gideon wants to know where the proof of God's presence can be found. Prove it to me, God, that you are God. If God is really with his people, shouldn't they be enjoying victory right now? God, you should not be letting these bad things happen to me, to my people. You know, sometimes we try to reason with God in that fashion. Mind you, they got themselves in this situation because of disobedience to God Almighty. Had they been with God as they were supposed to, walking in faithfulness toward Him, they would not have found themselves in this situation. Now that they are there, God, where are you? Well, let's see how this is going to be dealt with. Look at verse 13 and let's keep reading there. Why is all this befallen? And where be all the miracles? which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken me and delivered me into the hands of the Midianites. I don't know that I would want to be next to Gideon right now, brethren. First, he questions God's presence. Notice then in this verse, he questions God's performance. Gideon wants to know where all the miracles have gone. You see, it's been 250 years. At this point in Judges, it's been some 250 years that God delivered Israel from Egypt. It's been some 200 years since the Jordan was parted and they crossed over on dry ground. I'm not talking about the Red Sea. Y'all, you do know that, right? That God parted waters more than once in the Bible. This is another time it's being spoken of here. Gideon wants to know where the God who performed these miracles has gone. You ever found yourself like that in your life? Where are you, God? I need you. I need an answer. I need some help. You want me to do what? I can't even do it for myself. Think about Moses and all the excuses that he made. Isn't that amazing how we're able to do that as human beings? You ever told someone this? If you would have spent the time working that you've done about complaining why you're not doing the work, it would have already been done by now? Or something along those lines? We do that with our God sometimes. We do that with our Heavenly Father. And it can cost us. 14 and 15, he questions God's perception. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So not only does he question God, he's going to tell God why he can't do what God would have him to do. 
Brethren, let me ask you this morning. Friends, does our Heavenly Father, does God, the creator of this universe, ask us to do anything that we are not capable of doing? That's questioning God's omniscience. That's questioning God's omnipresence. That's questioning everything about the God that we read of in the Bible. Our God does not ask us to do that which we are incapable of doing. Always, always remember that. When the Lord hears Gideon's questions, he responds by telling him that he will save Israel. I always find that interesting, and I try to point this out to the students. So here's Gideon. Lord, shouldn't we be winning right now? Lord, where are all these miracles that you have done in the past? And God's response is, Gideon, you're going to save Israel. Wait, did he even answer Gideon's questions? He just tells Gideon, this is what you're going to do. You are going to save Israel. God has sent him and he will be successful. He is going to charge into the face of the enemy and he's going to cut him down for the glory of God. Hopefully, we're getting a little more excited now, brother. Because we see God working in a man's life so that God's will can be carried out. And isn't that something we often utter, maybe several times a day, to God be the glory. What does that mean? That means what we are doing, we want God to be glorified. Well, brethren, if we're doing what God has asked us to do, then our God is being glorified. And that's something to be happy about, something to be thankful for. And so God, excuse me, getting his response is to question the Lord's omniscience. Look what he says. Lord, you can't be right. I can't be the deliverer of Israel. And what are his excuses? Number one, his father's house is poor. No one will follow him. And number two, his father's house does not respect him. We will see in verse 25 of this chapter, brethren, that Gideon's father was an idolater. Perhaps because Gideon tore down his daddy's groves, his places of pagan and false worship, that he was an outsider in the family. A lot of us, though, are just like Gideon. We know God wants us to serve him. True? We know God wants us to pray to him. He is our father in heaven. We know God wants us to love him. But then when it comes for us to carry out those things, we trust in our inability rather than in God's ability, and we fall short. We rely on ourselves rather than taking God at his word. We know God wants us to serve him, and we might even understand it. Gideon did exactly what Moses did. Gideon and Moses did exactly what we could do today. You see, brethren, people, the real problem is not Gideon. The real problem is not Moses. The real problem is not us. The problem is what we are focusing on. One of my favorite questions to ask myself, therefore I say it a lot. Is God a part of your life? Or is God your life? And depending on how you answer that question, It will define where your walk is this morning with God. Because if he's just a part of your life, then church service was just another schedule in your weekly routine to go and be a part of. It wasn't looked at with the excitement and the opportunity to come together and to bow before God and to worship his holy name because he is your life. It was just another thing to get the schedule accomplished. And we do go down in the valleys and up and over the mountains. So where are you this morning? 
Do you find yourself where Gideon is at? Where Moses has been? Without God, brother, we are weak. We are failures. But with Him, the Bible says, we are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Do you believe that this morning? We can pull down strongholds. I know that I can do nothing of myself, but I must believe that He can use me. Now, you take out all those eyes on me and you put the eyes for you in that sentence. I can do nothing of myself, but I must believe that He can use me. Brother, we must come to the place where we understand this. Gideon's not there yet and he's making excuses. Gideon's excuses are twofold. Look what he says. His excuses are what the world is after. God, I do not have fame, and God, I do not have fortune. And because I do not have fame, and because I do not have fortune, I cannot do what you are asking me. Brethren, have we played that card before? That's exactly what Gideon is doing here. He says, Lord, I cannot afford to do the work, and nobody knows me. Brethren, God specializes in taking people who say they can't to accomplish his work. Consider with me for just a moment and we will close. He used Abraham, a pagan from Ur, to be the father of the faithful. He used Jacob, a liar, to be the father of the nation. He used Joseph, a slave, to save the world. He used Moses, a shepherd and a murderer, to deliver his people. Jephthah, the son of a prostitute, to deliver Israel. He used an unnamed servant girl. We don't even have her name to tell Naaman about God. He used Esther a slave to deliver people. He used Matthew, a tax collector, our favorite, right? A tax collector to write about Jesus, king of the Jews. He used Saul of Tarsus to write over one half of the New Testament. Don't tell me, God, that we can't. God says we can. And so, brethren, when we defeat ourselves, that's a battle that we're fighting because God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a message of hope that we can have confidence in His truth. Israel was crying out for a deliverer, verse 7. God's answer was Gideon. This morning, brethren, let us challenge ourselves and put aside what we've been telling God that we can't and start doing it. Maybe there are some here that need to be preaching. Get at it. Maybe there are some here that should be teaching Sunday school. Get at it. Maybe there's some here that should be singing. Time to start. Maybe there's some here that should be serving in the church. Get at it. Maybe there are others that should be telling the world about Jesus. You know what's coming next, don't you? Get at it. What a wonderful lesson we have here in the book of Judges regarding the life and story of Gideon. Looking from the outside, brethren, he doesn't look like much, does he, when we got started? He's fearful, he's timid, he's filled with doubt. He has more questions than he has answers. Brethren, we have circumstances like Gideon. Brethren, we have been commissioned by God to go and tell the world about Jesus. Now, are we going to let confusion overcome us? Are we going to have confidence in God Almighty? Today is a good day to obey God if you are not a Christian. And we would love to study with you what God would have you to do. And so I will leave with the question that I asked earlier. Is God your life or is he a part of your life? If he's just a part, then come forward now so that we may help while we stand and while we sing.